going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13 as we continue the series, Your Kingdom Come. Your Kingdom Come. When I was in seminary, New Orleans Seminary, and from Louisiana, that's how you pronounce New Orleans. It's one word, not two, New Orleans. And I was living in Folsom, Louisiana, not where Folsom Prison is, but Folsom, Louisiana, pastoring First Baptist Church of Folsom. My wife, Tanya, was a teacher at Folsom Elementary. And we had a tremendous experience those six years in Folsom while I was going to seminary to get my master's and then my doctorate. And I remember meeting Mr. Sonny Blackwell. Uh, he was the chairman of the pastor search committee that called me to that church. And he lived just a half a block down from where we were living. We were living in the church parsonage. I know that I parked next to the parsonage here on the parking lot. So you have a parsonage. Well, Tanya and I were living in that parsonage. And I wanted to add on the back of the parsonage some flower beds. And then Mr. Sonny said, well, well pastor, you ought to plant some tomatoes. I'm like, well, Mr. Sonny, I don't know much about tomato planting, and, uh, but I've already prepared the boxes for the other flower beds, so maybe we can just choose one of those. So he came over and looked at it, and he said, well, this is insufficient. I said, well, what do you mean? It's ready to go. He said, get in my truck, and let's go for a ride. So we go several miles away, and we go to this big ranch, and we go into the horse stalls, and he hands me a big snow shovel and says, what I ask you to do, Pastor, if you'll just scoop some of this here in the stalls and, and just pile it in the back of my truck. And I would scoop, hold my nose, and pack it to the truck and dump it out. And we loaded the back of that truck with the horse stall contents. And as we made our way back to the parsonage, he backed his truck up to that flower bed. And, and this time, he didn't let me do the shoveling. He shoveled it off and put it in that flower bed where we were going to be planting tomatoes. And I'm thinking, my whole backyard is going to stink. When people come over to our deck here on the back patio area, this backyard, this aroma is going to be deadly. And he kept working the soil, and I would get closer and say, well, what are you doing? He said, now step back, and he kept working it and working it and working it, and then they got softer and softer and darker and darker. Then he planted the tomatoes. And I was thinking, how would anything grow out of that? But Pastor Jared, it produced so many tomatoes more than any person or family could ever eat, we fed the entire community of Folsom with our six tomato plants that were planted in good soil. And what Mr. Sonny taught me was the value of good soil. Now, with that in mind, let's see what Jesus has to say about good soil. Go with me to Matthew 13. And we're going to look at a few verses there together. Are you excited about God's word? Would you shout amen? amen? And I want you to shout so loud that those online can hear you. If you're excited about the word of God, would you shout amen? amen? And we do want to say to those who are joining us online, we're so glad that you're here with us. And if you'll join us also in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, and here's what the word of God says. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Now, that's the Sea of Galilee. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat 
and sat down. That's the posture of a rabbi. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. Now, you can just picture Jesus in the boat about to teach, his voice reflecting off of the water about 300 feet and projecting to the crowds that are gathered like an amphitheater on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, that earthly story with a heavenly meeting, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on, say it with me, good soil and produced grain. Listen to this. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Now look at verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, when you are studying Matthew with Pastor Jared, there are five discourses. We've moved into the third discourse, and this is called the parabolic discourse. So now Jesus is going to be speaking in parables. So the disciples, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, to the unbelievers, it has not been given. Now, jump, jump down to verse 16. Don't miss this phrase. But blessed are your eyes, for they shall see, and your ears, for they hear. In other words, to the disciples, he is saying, you have eyes that see and ears that hear. Now, what I want to do this morning in our time together, normally I know a Baptist pastor is supposed to preach a three-point sermon, give a poem, and then let's get out of here. But I want to just look at two concepts two concepts. I want to look at levels of receptivity in salvation, and then I want us to look at levels of receptivity in sanctification. Now, to paint the picture, remember that salvation is an event. It's a transaction. You turn from your sin. You trust in Jesus alone for salvation. You're adopted into the family of God. It is a divine transaction. You are brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You're given a new identity. We call that salvation. That is an event. It is a divine transaction followed by a process of sanctification, personal growth and development. And what I want us to look at are the levels of receptivity in salvation and then the levels of receptivity in sanctification. You ready to go on that journey? Well, let's ride the wave together. Or let's plow the field together would be probably better in this text. Here's the first word I want you to write down. It's what Jesus gives us to identify this level of receptivity called path. Path. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. Here Jesus is explaining the parable. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. Now, in Palestine, in the agricultural realm, uh, you would find paths that are outlining the fields. It's basically a trail. 
And whenever the sower would be broadcasting the seed and he would wear the pack, the pouch, and he would literally reach in his pouch and broadcast the seed, seed would fall, some of it, on the hard path. Very common. And of course, the birds would just come in and snatch it up. And here, speaking of the evil one. So as the seed is sown, some would fall on the hard path. Now, what I want you to see with me this morning is that's a condition of the heart. I remember when I was trained in faith evangelism, how to share your faith. Forgiveness is available, but it's impossible as you turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Then you will go to heaven, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust him. And I was being trained in faith evangelism with a team, and they dropped me in front of this home, and I was to go knock on the door, and whoever answered, I was to share faith with them. And this gentleman opened the door, but he didn't open the screen. And he was behind the screen, and I really couldn't tell much about him. I could just barely see uh, just the outline of his body. And I began to share with him and ask him questions and got to the place where I asked him, in your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to get to heaven? And have eternal life. And he said, I don't believe in heaven. And I didn't know how to respond to that. It offended me. And I I said, why would you not want to go to heaven? He said, I don't even believe there's a God. And I just, something came over me, Pastor Jerry. And I said, step outside. And he opened that screen door. And he stepped out on the porch. I said, I want you to come on out a little bit further. And he came on out, stepped down his steps, and got in his little walkway. right. And then as he got closer, he got taller. And he was a big man. And I said, sir, I want you to look up to the sky. And it was a beautiful night with stars scattered throughout the sky. I said, who do you think made that? Is that made by man? And he looked up, and his heart began to tenderize just a little bit, and I shared the plan of salvation with him. And when we got to the end, I said, understanding what we've shared, would you like to receive God's forgiveness by trusting in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? He said, no. And it just broke my heart that he rejected the gospel. And I pled with him and begged him, to give his life to Christ, to receive God's gift of eternal life. And it was a cold no. And as I got back in the vehicle and I was so broken and continued to pray for that man, what God showed me is I was being faithful to broadcast the gospel seed and it was falling on hard path. Look at the second level of receptivity, rocky ground. Rocky ground. Verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, Jesus said, This is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You can just picture that seed being broadcast on rocky ground. And another concept to look at this would be shallow When somebody has a shallow response to the gospel, a superficial response to the gospel, and you're right, maybe they have come to faith in Christ. Maybe they're in, but they're really not. It was just a shallow response, superficial response. The third word is thorns. Thorns. You could put weeds. Verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, Jesus said, this is one who hears the word of God, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. 
Now, this is so common in our culture because of worry and worldliness. Our lives are cascaded by worry and worldliness. And thus, here's a level of receptivity where the weeds of this life choke out the seed that's been sown. And then we get to the best moment, the good soil. That's the goal. That there's such a level of receptivity that our hearts, our condition reflects good soil. Look at verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. Now, when we look at this passage, what we see are three soils resulting in no fruit, no salvation. The seed was broadcast, but not received. But then we notice here three kinds of good soil. Some that yield 30, 60, 100. The normal yield in that day would be 5 to 15. So this is like unbelievable. This is a miracle that the seed would yield some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. But that's what happens when God gets involved. And as we faithfully broadcast the seed of the gospel, and it's going to fall on different levels of receptivity, and we're praying for good soul to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be radically saved. Now, if you're an unbeliever in the house here, and we're so thankful you're here, and maybe for you, you're checking God out, this church thing out, and if you're online, you're saying, we just want to see what's going on. What about this God thing? I want to say to you, if you're an unbeliever, this is your moment. In just a few moments, we're going to extend an invitation. We're going to invite you to turn from sin and turn to Jesus alone for salvation. And in that moment, you can become a child of God. In that moment, you can become a follower of Jesus Christ, and your life will change forever. And many people in this room would testify right now, I've been saved. I have received Jesus. I have trusted in Jesus alone. I've been adopted into God's family. I've been filled by God's spirit. And if you're an unbeliever, today can be the day of your salvation. Here's what I want to challenge you with. Don't gamble with eternity. And don't flirt with forever. This is your moment to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And let the condition of your heart be good soil. And here's how it works. The Holy Spirit of God is the tiller. You know what a tiller is? The tiller is how you plow and churn the ground and soften it up and break up all the hard places and it gets soft and tender and receptive. And the Holy Spirit of God will draw you to himself and condition your heart in such a way that you'll be receptive to the seed of the gospel. And that's what we're praying for you. And some of you this morning would say, I already know the Lord. I'm in the family of God. Maybe there's a family member who's far from God. Maybe for you, it's someone you work with, someone in the family tree. You know, there's two kinds of people, those who are born again and those who are born against. And maybe you have some of those born againsters in your life and you're praying for their salvation, that as you broadcast the gospel seed, that their hearts will be receptive and that they'll come to faith in Jesus Christ. How many of you have somebody that you're praying for that will be saved? Anybody? Don't gamble with eternity. Today is a day of salvation, the word of God says. And then for the believer, keep shining your light 
Keep sharing God's love. Keep showcasing God's grace. And believers, let's keep broadcasting the gospel seed. The Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. I remember when I was in college and I had an internship with the pastor in the town there, Dr. John Alley at Calvary Baptist Church in Alexandria, Louisiana. And I'll never forget him saying, Stephen, you're just the pizza delivery boy. You just keep delivering that gospel pizza and you let God do the work to convince that person that they need to eat that pizza, that they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. You be faithful in sharing the gospel. Stephen, you're just the pizza delivery boy. Now, what about you? Are you sharing your faith? Are you shining his light? Are you showcasing his grace? Are you being faithful to broadcast the gospel seed? Levels of receptivity related to salvation. Now, let's look quickly at levels of receptivity and sanctification. So you come to faith in Christ. You're born again. You're adopted into God's forever family. You're filled by God's Holy Spirit. You're now the walking tabernacle of the presence of God. You don't have to go to church. You are the church. And when you come to church, you're bringing the church with you. And we are now the church gathered as the body of Christ. And then we're going to be the church scattered. And as we scatter, we're going to be the walking tabernacle, the presence of God. And we're going to be broadcasting the gospel seed. But here's what you'll discover in your journey. Even as a believer, there are different levels of receptivity. Did you know even this morning in this beautiful worship center, after such a dynamic Christ-exalting worship experience that Pastor Kurt led us in with the praise team and the awesome drummer that I was dialed in on because I grew up playing the drums. Even in the midst of all this wonderful Christ-exalting worship, there are different levels of receptivity. Have you noticed that in your journey? Where you go through a season where everything is so in sync and you're, it's like the river is flowing your way. And your intimacy with, with the Lord is so sweet. Your prayer life is so vibrant. Your sensitivity to God's activity is so intimate. And you're so tuned in. But then there are seasons where you feel a little distant, distracted, disoriented. Have you been there? So what do the four paths look like, the four levels of receptivity look like for those who are following Jesus? And sanctification. Let me just give you those four words again. Path. That would be for a believer a calloused heart. You know the Lord, but you, you've allowed your heart to become hard, calloused. Maybe that's where you are. The rocky place, that rocky ground where maybe your heart has become disillusioned. That you thought your life was going to be this, or you thought your marriage was going to be this, or you thought that if you could graduate, you would be this. You thought if you would get this job, it would be this. You thought if I could just have children, it would be this. Oh, if we could have grandchildren, it'll be this. And it normally is. Or if I could just retire, and then, it, then life's going to be this. And then you have this expectation of what it is, and the gap between your expectation and reality is called disappointment so you either have to lower your expectation or raise your reality to eliminate disappointment so you can have a heart that's disillusioned but thirdly 
you can have a heart that's distracted. And that's the thorns, that's the weeds, where you get distracted by life. But the goal, even in our sanctification and walking with God, is that we have good soil, that we're tender, that we're teachable, that we're interruptible, that we have an expectant heart. I love the Henry Blackaby quote, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. We heard Pastor Jared a moment ago praying over us and and saying that God doesn't waste difficulty. And God will use pain in our lives. God used the pain of my parents' divorce connected to my dad's alcoholism. And when I was seven, my mother had to draw the line in the sand because when my dad drank, he became so violent. He was a threat to our family. And she didn't believe in divorce, but she had to protect the sanctity of our home. And so she had to draw the line in, my, in the sand and divorce my dad when I was seven. And the pain of that divorce... Jim led me to a journey to search for a father who would never let me down. For a father who would be faithful and not abandon me. And on March 28, 1979, that was a long time ago. I was one month before turning 10. I'm 51, so you don't have to do the math. One month before I turned 10 is when I was introduced to Jesus Christ. And I turned from my sin and I trusted in Jesus alone for my salvation. And in that moment... I became a child of God. And I was adopted into God's family. My name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Eternal security became my reality. And I learned how to pray and pour my heart out to a holy God. And when I would lay my head down on the pillow at night and my mother would turn off the light, I had perfect peace because if I didn't wake up, I knew where I was going. Not because of who I was, but because of what Jesus had done for me. But God used pain to bring me to the place of salvation. And God will use pain in our lives to draw us to the Father and to make us more like Jesus. And we don't like pain. In fact, we do everything we can to avoid pain. Most of life is pain management. We don't like pain. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I just want to challenge you this morning. Pay attention to the tension inside of you. Your deepest burden can lead to your greatest blessing. And what we learn from God's word, even in the midst of pain, you determine the level of intimacy with God. You determine the level of intimacy with God. And you can allow pain in your life to make you run from God or get cold toward God or hard toward God or indifferent toward God, dissatisfied with God. Or you can embrace the pain and instead of running from God, run to God and bring your pain. And God will meet you there in your pain. And God will take the pain of your life and he will use it to mold and shape you to be more like Jesus than you've ever been and to experience his presence and his fullness like you've never known. When Tanya and I were newlyweds, we moved to Pine Lake Apartments in Pineville, Louisiana. We were students at Louisiana College and 
I bought this hanging plant. We put it on our back porch. We had a sliding glass door. And when you open the sliding glass door, you could see the pond. And we, we said we were, we were growing our marriage on the, bol- the golden pond. And that little hanging plant was beautiful with these pink and purple flowers. Well, over a few days, I had forgotten all about the plant. And when I I was getting so weary of having to water that plant every day. And I just totally forgot about it. And the sun always came up over the pond. And it kind of scorched it. And, and Pastor Jared, it basically looked dead. And I was kind of excited about it. I was ready to just throw it away, put it in the dumpster and say, whew, I don't have to take care of that thing anymore. And then Tanya saw it. And we were newlywed, so I was a little more hypersensitive back then. And she said, uh, looks like you've been neglecting the plant for quite a while. Would you be willing to water it? Because it's so high up, only I could reach it. And I said, well, baby, it's obvious it's dead. She said, I want you to water it. So I go out there, big old pitcher of water. I pour that water, and it was so dry that the water just went through it and, like, soaked through the holes in the the little pot. And I was like, it's a goner. The next morning when I went out there, that thing had come back to life. You know what we called that plant? Lazarus. <laughs> Have you watered Lazarus lately? And it's such a great reminder that if you want to have a deep abiding love relationship with Jesus Christ, you must nurture that relationship daily. Daily. Now, here's where we have to be guarded. In the culture that we are in, especially being disrupted by COVID, is if you're not careful, you'll spend so much time on social media and you'll start examining the lives of other people on your smartphone. And you'll be saying, wow, look at their life. They're always at the most amazing places. They have the most radiant smile. They're always with friends and they're happy and they're making all these amazing memories. And you look at their social media and you're following them and then you try to hide your virtual, you try to literally hide your life through this virtual reality or live vicariously through others so that that you don't have to feel reality. And we start living this suspended life and we get lost in this social media world and we start comparing our lives to their, re, their lives that we think is real and what you don't realize is they are posting their highlight reel. And the reason they look so great is because it's filtered. It's filtered. It's not real. In fact, it's called selfie-righteousness. And if you're not careful, you'll get so consumed by comparing your life to someone's highlight reel, you'll live in a a real life of dissatisfaction instead of a life of contentment. And your heart will become hard and cold and indifferent instead of tender and teachable and interruptible and captivated by God's love. So I have a question for you. What's the condition of your heart Where are you this morning? And what needs to change in your heart's condition to reflect good soil? Would you pray with me? Father, we bow humbly before you. We acknowledge your presence. And Lord, we know it's so easy to drift. You teach us that in your word, that we must pay more careful attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. 
Lord, we know it's possible to forsake our first love. And you remind us in your word that we are to remember there from where we have fallen, repent, and do the works we did at first. And God, I pray that you'll help us to remember those sweet seasons of intimacy with you. When we were so sensitive and receptive to your activity and our hearts reflected good soil. And Lord, here together we repent from the height we have fallen. And we come to say thank you that you've given us this moment to return, that we can return to you. God, would you have your way in our lives? Thank you for making the gospel available to us. You so love the world that you gave your only son that whoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life. And God, you've already demonstrated your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, you allowed Christ to die for us and that we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory and the wages of sin is death, but the gift that you have given is eternal life.